This episode is brought to you by Full Bucket Veterinary Strength Supplements, the leader in digestive health for dogs, cats, and horses. Hello and welcome to Chats with the Chatfield. This is a podcast to expand your idea of what impacts veterinarians, pet owners, and basically all animal lovers in the galaxy as humans. We are your hosts. I'm Dr. Jen the Vet. And I'm Dr. Jason. If you have not yet subscribed to our show, why not? Just go to chatfieldshow.com or our YouTube channel, Chatfield Show, and subscribe today. And if you want to reach us, if you've got a message full of love and positivity, you can find me at Jen at chatfieldshow.com. And for all of you folks who like to keep it real, you can find me at Jason at chatfieldshow.com. Okay, today, friends, into the chat room. We have like, I, like I'm super excited. I have been waiting for weeks for this episode <laughs> because we have Dr. Kate Creevy coming to the chat room to talk all about this incredible new thing. Maybe you've heard about it. I guess maybe you've been living under a rock as possible too. Jason, have you heard of the dog aging project? I had, I had heard it mentioned, but I really didn't know what it was. So as per the use, I'm going to be learning along with the chatterboxes today. <laughs> All right. That's true. All okay. Right. Well, let, let me introduce our guest because she 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 needs an introduction. Okay. This lady, she is a full professor of small animal clinical sciences at Texas AM University's College Whoop. of Veterinary Medicine. <laughs> I do all kinds of crazy stuff. That's right. right. Uh, and she's also the chief veterinary officer for the dog aging project that I mentioned. Uh, and how did she get there? Well, She's a board-certified small animal veterinary internist. She has a primary research interest in longevity, health span, morbidity and mortality within and among dog breeds, whoa, as well as, wait for it, secondary research interests in infectious disease. Oh my God, that was too long of a pause. I thought I was supposed to answer that question. I'm like, I don't know. Sounds good. That's your jam. This is your person right here. I'm going to sit back and drink my coffee. I love it. Okay. So uh, secondary research interests include infectious disease and pedagogical theory in science education. But since 2007, she has been collaborating with Dr. Daniel Promislow. He's a geneticist whose research uh, focus is aging in order to study the genetic and environmental determinants of aging in companion dogs. Their recently funded dog aging project is an ambitious one, and it will undertake the largest prospective study of companion dogs ever performed. I feel like we should have an echo when I say, yeah, ever, Ever, yes, I know they are going to, they initially were going to follow 10,000 dogs across the nation for at least five years, 10,000 dogs across the nation for at least five years. But I think it's gotten even bigger. Dr. Creevy, get in the chat room. Will you tell us all about this? I mean, please tell us. Dr. Jen tried to tell us it's a mistake. I know. Welcome. Thank you guys so much for having me. And thanks for that fun and kind introduction. It's fun to be here. And I love talking about the dog aging project. So fire away. I'll tell you anything you want to know. Okay. So you've expanded. So it was, you were going to, initially you guys were going to have 10,000 dogs, right? But now you have how many? Over 42,000 dogs uh, currently enrolled. And so what happened was our initial plan included a a relatively carefully constructed group of 10,000 dogs Mm -hmm. whom we would recruit and identify and have owners provide information about. And so many people were excited about participating that 
Once we built the online platform that enables us to collect this information from dog owners, there was no reason to limit it, right? So there was no reason to limit it. So we currently have unlimited enrollment and it's still ongoing. Within that unlimited enrollment, we do still have some of these groups that we call cohorts that are carefully constructed to represent um, a range of dog sizes and breeds and ages mm-hmm. and those sorts of things within that overall group. But there's no reason that we can't just take everyone who wants to participate. So currently, you can still sign up your dog, dogagingproject.org, nominate your dog, um, and that that site will walk you through a series of steps to enroll your dog in the project. When's the deadline? Is there got to be a deadline, right? Is there a deadline? Not, there has so, to be. No, no deadline. As long as as long as we are able to sustain funding, we plan to continue. So our initial grant was funded for five years from the National mm-hmm. Institute on Aging. We've recently submitted for an additional five years of funding, and we're waiting to hear back. But we're also cultivating other grant support and donor support. And so it is our goal to build this into a, a forever study that doesn't that wow. doesn't have to stop on the grant cycle that just keeps going. Wow. And that is kind of the holy grail of research, right? One that doesn't stop on a grant cycle. Oh my God. I love it. Okay. So now, um, so for people who are listening, who are like dog aging project, what dogs age, that's it. Like who can't like, why are you <laughs> like that already happens whether you want it to or not. And honestly, we don't want it to, right? Like they just don't, they don't live long enough. Um, so, so what, like, why, how come, what's the point of gathering all this information? Yeah, it's a great question. So as a veterinarian, um, specifically as an internist, my patients are old dogs. Most of Mm -hmm. my patients are old dogs. The kinds of things that you see an internist for are usually diseases of aging. And so um, I have a personal interest in old dogs because we love our old dogs, our dogs who've become members of our families and they fit into our lives and they're important to us in so many ways. When Mm -hmm. we see them age, we want to help them them have the best possible experience as they age and enjoy their lives fully as long as they possibly can. Um, Of course, it would be great for dogs to live longer. And and that's a goal of the project. But more important to me is for dogs to live better when they're old. You know, Mm -hmm. most of us given the choice, would you rather live to 100 with a lot of disease or would you rather live to 85 in excellent health? Many of us would choose 85 period in excellent health. And so this is the concept known as health span, which is different from lifespan. So lifespan is just the period of time that you're alive or the period Mm -hmm. of time that your dog is alive. Health span is the portion of your life that is spent in good health, free from chronic disease or debilitating disease. And so for me, I want to maximize the health span of my own dogs and of the dogs that I see in my practice. So as a veterinarian, the goals of this project were just straightforward. The question that we get a lot is, why would the National Institute on Aging care about aging dogs? Because the NIH and the NIA are for people. And the reason that the NIA is interested in aging dogs is because studying aging in dogs is an excellent opportunity to study aging in people. So this is what we call translational research, meaning something we learn in dogs translates is the same as the same problem or disease um, or age-related phenomenon as people. And dogs are the very best animals to study for aging because they live in our homes, they eat our food, they drink our water, they breathe our our air. Oh my gosh, they live with us. (laughs) They live with us. So all of the things in our environment that can influence our age 
experiences can influence our pet dog's aging experiences. Mm -hmm. They also experience a lot of the same age-related diseases as people. Mm -hmm. They get arthritis, they get kidney disease, they get cognitive disease. They um, get cancer. They get cancer. And we treat them as individuals, right? If your dog, do. gets, you take your dog to the vet and your dog gets specific individualized treatment. And that's not true for a group of mice in a cage. And that's not true for mm -hmm. a school of fish, right? So, so, so how, do, how does, I hate to interrupt you, but how, how does it work exactly? Do you, do you, I sign my dog up. Okay. I got three dogs. I sign Nominate, my, no, Jason, no you don't just sign up. You nominate your dog. That's even better. I, I nominate my dogs. And for whatever reason, you guys had a moment of weakness and, and you let them into this, this thing without <laughs> It's going to skew the data because I'm such a terrible uh, character for dogs. <laughs> but in any case, do you, do you send me questions? Do I send you videos? Do you yeah, send me a monthly work? stipend or what's happening? <laughs> Jason. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Maybe that's not true. <laughs> so, no, but all honesty, what happens? How does yeah, it work? So here's how it works. First of all, right now, you can only have one dog enrolled per household. And there are a couple of scientific reasons for that, a couple of logistical reasons for that. We don't want mm -hmm. people to get mixed up about which dog is which. And also we want to get <laughs> as many possible environments as we can. Mm -hmm. And so if my, my household environment is a little bit different from yours, a little bit different sure. from yours, we want to represent as many household right. environments right. as we can. So okay. you would have to tell us which of your dogs you want to nominate. Um, and we walk you through some steps <laughs> to help you choose. The very first thing that you would do is create a password protected online research portal. And from then on, anytime you interact with the study, that's where you go. And it's password protected so nobody else can get access to your information and so that it's 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 exclusive and unique to you. Um, we will ask you then to fill out a pretty long survey about your dog. I would imagine, yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. so it's, um, it's called Health and Life Experiences Survey, and it is all about your dog's health and life experiences. Mm. And so this survey is broken into about 10 sections, and you have six weeks to complete it. So you can fill some oh. out and go away and come back. And if you get tired of it, fill some out and go away and come back. And we will ask you all about everything that happens in your dog's daily life. What does he eat? Where does he play? What kinds of activity does he get? Who else mm -hmm. is in the household? Other people, other animals, other dogs. Um, we'll ask you about all the health problems your dog has ever had and what kind of preventive care care your dog receives and does he get vaccinated and does he get dental cleanings and has he been castrated and those kinds of things. Um, and we'll also ask you to tell us the kinds of studies you would be interested in, because as I mentioned, within this big unlimited size group, we have a mm -hmm. couple of smaller groups where yeah. some people might collect a uh, a cheek swab from their dog for DNA analysis, or might take their dog to the vet to have blood collected that's sent to us for blood analysis. Mm -hmm. So we ask you what kinds of things like that you'd be interested in. Um, and that's it. If you can complete that survey, your dog becomes a member of the dog aging project pack for the rest of the dog's life and the life of the study. And that's it. Wow. Now, if you do that, we're going to keep coming at you. Oh, that can't be <laughs> it. Just, what you mean to say is that's just the beginning. The beginning. Uh, because that's otherwise, the entry. It's just a yeah. Question. yeah. Is, that is the entry point. But truly, that dog becomes a member of the pack and is a permanent member of the I pack. Love a member of the pack. That's great. There's, there's I know. It, it gets them kicked out or anything like that. But oh, we'll come back and my say. Dogs yeah, they're in. They're totally in. Um, but we will come back in the future with additional questions or additional uh -huh. surveys on particular topics, or we might come back and say, your dog meets the criteria to be in this sub-study. Would, would you be interested in that or not interested in that? And so mm -hmm. we will follow up with our PAC members over time. So I read online, hold on, Dr. Jen, I read okay. online, this is concerning you. Now you tell me this is true or false, that you actually take every single breed of dog except French bulldogs. <laughs> nobody cares about Come the French bulldogs. Come on. Is that right? Is that not right? That's not true. Okay, false. Okay, I just want to correct. That is a that false is statement. False. 
That is a false right. statement. You take I'm, them, but then you throw their information away because you really yes. don't want to miss well, it. I, Jason, no? I look, she's sleeping right now, but I am going to cover up Cosette's Yella. very large ears. That's right. No, I don't want to get any information about her. All, all dogs, all ages, all everything, right? Yeah. Otherwise, that's it wouldn't right. do any good, right? Great. That's right. And, and you know, that's a great point because some people say, oh, well, my dog must be too young to be in an aging study. But mm. you start aging the moment you get born, unfortunately, right? For right. all of us who are experiencing Holy the aging process. Right. It starts right away. And so we do want puppies and we do Mm -hmm. want young dogs and we do want intact dogs and spayed and castrated dogs and big dogs and small dogs and rural dogs and urban dogs. We want all the dogs, all All the dogs. We want all the dogs. Okay. All right. So when we come back, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to, we're going to talk about how, how does this translate to science? It's translational, but how does it translate to actual science? What are we going to, what data are we going to glean from this? So hang with us because we're going to get to the, the really smart part after a break. It's Dr. Jen Nevet, and I'm here with my friend and colleague, Dr. Keith Latson. He's got an incredibly interesting story all about full bucket health. My college roommate and vet school housemate, Dr. Rob Franklin and I were collaborating on some cases. Both of us were struggling with diarrhea in some of our patients, whether it was after a procedure or after after an illness. So we created a formulation, but we didn't want to just create a formulation. We also wanted to create a movement in animal health for being able to help animals in need through the use of our products that we develop. That really has resulted in our one-for-one giving program, which we're really proud of, as much as we are our formulations for dogs, horses, and cats. And so if you want to know more about their one-for-one giving at Full Bucket, or if you're interested in better supporting your dog, cat, or horse's digestive health, head over to fullbuckethealth.com to learn more. Let's check out what V's view is today. V's View from Vet School, brought to you by the AVMA Trust. Veterinarian-inspired coverage, protecting you through it all. Hi, I'm V. This is my view. Gotta get rid of that. Well, surgery. So, it finally happened. I did my first surgery on my own. Well, kind of, but we'll get to that later. Yep, I spayed the sweetest little mixed breed shelter dog you ever did see. She's beautiful. I love her. This is a milestone, friends. And while I just removed what seems like an entire outfit, kind of getting there, I think I still need to change more clothes, like my pants. I was so nervous and excited and anxious, more nervous. Um. It is impossible to describe the weight of responsibility of doing surgery on an otherwise totally okay creature. And by that, I mean that this is an elective procedure. Plus, I know her. I met her Monday and took care of her all week until surgery, and she's just wonderful. Wow. The awesome trust and responsibility are nearly paralyzing. Thank goodness for surgical drapes covering the patient so I can focus and not worry about her as the incredible animal I know her to be. This surgery is a big deal for vet students because we all get to do it. And even though we are heavily supervised, so make no mistake, that's what I mean when I said, yeah, I did my first surgery by myself. Let's face it, I have a doctor standing over me making sure I don't screw up in any way, shape or form. It's still 
scary, but it's confident building. Like our teacher even told us, we didn't realize the difference between our first surgery and our second surgery, where we're doing a completely different part. But after feeling like I could conquer the world, after I put it in the last stitch, I mean suture, I started to reflect a bit. This surgery is also the first step in building my mental resolve to step over a wall in my brain and my heart and be able to perform surgery and other critical life-saving procedures on animals that I may have known since birth or at least since they found their human families. This may be the hardest part of vet school yet, this mental and emotional management in order to do the things I know to believe to be necessary to help save the creatures we all love. <sighs> yep, vet med is hard, but totally gonna be worth it. These View from Vet School, brought to you by the AVMA Trust, veterinarian-inspired coverage protecting you through it all. Okay, all right, thanks for that. Uh, friends, we are here with Dr. Kate Creevy. She's the Chief Veterinary Officer for the Dog Aging Project, that's right. And uh, in the break, she was just telling us that uh, even Dr. Jason's dogs might be allowed in. Even Leroy I might be in. I think the word she used was especially. <laughs> right? I not, don't think not, so. I think so, especially. <laughs> Leroy. Everybody yeah. wants a dog named Leroy. So. Okay. So 42,000 dogs and counting and uh, people can still go to the website and don't do not drive off the road. If you're listening right now, we're going to put a link in the show notes. Everyone remain calm. Don't worry. All the stuff that um, she lays out for us, you'll find in the show notes, uh, but you can go to, is it dogagingproject.org? Is that right? That's right. And nominate your dog. Now, my question is, Okay. So that's great. I do like, I get it. We want to follow the dogs. You want to see what their aging process is, but I mean, what are we going to, what, like, I guess what I would say is a, how do you control for all the variables, right? Because in elementary school, we all learned in the scientific method, you want to have everything the same, except for the one thing you're testing, right? The one variable you're testing. And so I got to tell you, um, my epidemiology students, right? Shout out to St. George would be like asking me, but wait, what about all those variables? How do you control for that? Yep. So this is a great question. And, and this is the challenge of what we call clinical research. So you're absolutely right. When we learn benchtop research and we learn the scientific method and we imagine mm -hmm. ourselves, you know, pipetting things in a laboratory, wearing a coat and working at a bench, we are in perfectly controlled conditions. Yeah. And that's an extremely valuable way to do science and, and studying things in laboratory settings, including laboratory animal models, allows us to learn important things about the basic biology of aging, but also the basic biology of everything. Mm -hmm. The problem is none of us lives there. Right. <laughs> you are not aging. I am not aging. Our dogs are not aging in a laboratory setting. Right. We're going and sometimes eating dumb things for dinner. And we're sometimes getting not enough sleep. And we're sometimes going to places where there's a lot of pollen or other air quality problems, right? So none of us is living. Did you hear that I just came back from Colorado? I don't know. <laughs> oh, no, that wasn't an air quality problem. <laughs> no, no. Um, and so none of us is living in a laboratory. And so what we need to do is we take these basic biology understandings from a laboratory setting, but we have to actually study them in the complex natural environment for them to be meaningful. And, and you're right. Analytically, it's very difficult because there is so much variability among mm -hmm. 
you know, the, the various dogs in our studies that get all kinds of different dog food and live at different elevations and have different kinds of exercise. One of the values of having a very large group of dogs that we can mm-hmm. study is that those variations can sort of mute each other out if we're focusing on one or two variables of interest. Okay. And within this large population, sometimes we can select a subgroup of dogs and match them at all of those different variations of interest so that we know we're only looking at one thing that's different between two groups in a smaller study. Um, but yeah, analytically, it's very complicated. And yet, mm-hmm. if we don't study these things in the real world, we can't apply them to ourselves. We can't apply them to pet dogs. We can't. Oh, yeah. That's right. I mean, like I like I hear you about that. Like you got to do field trials. You got to see how it actually plays in the real world. I understand that. But I'm just thinking about everybody's house is so different and all that. But I guess if 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 you can't control all of them, all the variables, then you just overwhelm with variables so that they just control each other. That, kind that's of right. I mean, this is the notion, yeah, this is the notion of, you know, the concept of a randomized clinical trial, right? So yeah. people are sort of a randomized clinical trial. So you take a bunch of people or a bunch of dogs or a bunch of elephants or whatever, and you say, look, I don't know everything about you, but I designed some criteria that you had to meet to be allowed in. And I have a thousand of you elephants, I have a thousand elephants, and the elephants have all the different things that elephants have, and they eat different food like elephants mm-hmm. eat, and they're big ones and smaller ones and fat ones and skinny ones and whatever. And I say, well, I can't control for all of that, but here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to start with this group and they're all similar. They, they're all different from one another in a similar way. And then I'm going to flip a coin and decide you guys go in treatment group A and you guys go in treatment group B. And I'm counting on the fact that whatever the differences are among those elephants, they're distributed equally among equally. the two groups because I made the two groups at random. And so that kind of approach to a randomized clinical trial that people are familiar with mm-hmm. is similar to how we look at this longitudinal study in our dogs. That plus with 42,000, that's uh, that's like a giant data. I'm sure that there's going to be, I would imagine that people are salivating at the amount of data that you're going to collect and you can just kind of siphon off what you, maybe you're just saying this, but siphon off what you want. And I say, I'll mm-hmm. go with these dogs and compare them with these. They just have so much information. I can only imagine uh, the computing power that's going to take to sort of sort of dig through this stuff because you guys aren't you didn't set i don't think right you didn't set out with a specific question right you just you just or is there a specific question that you guys are trying to answer there is a specific objective and that is to understand the genetic and environmental determinants of healthy aging in dogs and so environment in this context means everything about the environment not just the physical or geospatial environment but the social Mm -hmm. environment and the ecological environment and the exercise environment Mm -hmm. diet environment so Mm -hmm. all of those um, external factors and that influence the way the genes we were born with unfold you know that's interesting because they do say um like with humans right where they look at those blue zones i think they call them where the people live for like, you know, the average age is over, you know, I'm going to make this up, but people live forever in those blue zones. They have a very long, but they have also a long health span, right? Like these are, I'm trying to use the new words, health span, right? Even though they're 95, they're still in incredible health. You know, they don't have high blood pressure. They don't have heart disease. They, they have, maybe they have some arthritis, but they're still very mobile, you know? Um, and one of those key things that uh, came out at least on 60 minutes was that those folks had a social network. They basically had a reason to get up in the morning. They either had a job to do, and it might've been, you know, walk down um, the pathway to pick up 
you know, the rock that was delivered that day, every day, but they had something they had to do um, that they were, they depended on for, and they had their social network. Right. And so I would say the rock that was delivered. That well, day? whatever. I mean, like most of these places, they were they were very rural. Right. And they, so they, yeah, they're not the still, living, yeah. you know, they they didn't live in a high they rise. Have the pressures of all eat. the society stuff that we have. Right. But they also didn't yeah. have all of the conveniences, you know. Sure. And so so I it'll be interesting to me to see how the social piece for dogs now that we have such social dogs weighs in or impacts or doesn't impact um, health span kind of a thing. Um, especially if you have working dogs versus. Yeah. Because you know, while you're not only taking one dog per household, you I'm sure one of the questions is how, yeah, do you have another dog? Dogs. And then a few questions about those other dogs. So you can sort of, I mean, I would imagine, so you can sort of discern what's happening there. So. That's right. And not just what other dogs do they interact with, but of course, some dogs are very interactive with animals of other species, right? So you might have no. a or you might Man, have you guys got a lot of stuff. Really affectionate <laughs> horse, or yeah, right. It's a lot of stuff. Wait a minute. Did somebody have to come up with an algorithm for this whole to do all this data analysis? Yeah. So there, yes. Yeah, so there are some extremely talented um uh biostatisticians and and computational statisticians on our team. The other thing about the dog aging project is that it's what we call an open science project. And that means to your point, Dr. Jason, that um, we are not the only ones who are going to analyze our data. On an annual basis, we make public data releases um, through an online platform that anybody in the world can apply for access to the data and go online and analyze it and do exactly whatever they want. Now it's anonymized. So Mm -hmm. none of the owners' names addresses, phone numbers, personally identifying information, dogs' names, none of that is released. All the data are made anonymous, but our raw data are made annually publicly available. And that's important to us. That's a core mission of the project is is that we believe we're creating these data as a public good. This is not for us. It's for everyone. That's a I don't collect- know if you guys can hear it, but my, my pack is getting excited about the dog aging project, apparently. They so, are. Yeah. But but that's collaborative science at its best, right? When you're like, we're collecting this data and we want it for this reason, but we can only see this reason because that's why we started. But hey, if you see six other reasons, here you go. Give us a valid reason you want to have access. We'll give it to you. That is so wonderful. Um, I mean, there you go, folks. That's your feel good moment for today. That's like, there's some good karma happening there with the dog aging project. Um, so Jason, did you have another question burning or, I mean, I do, but I'm just, checking. no, I don't, I don't, I've, I've I didn't want to monopolize. Yeah. No, no, okay. it's fine. Okay. So, uh, monopolize away like the usual. Mm, so, uh, you might have to quiet the pack. Um, so my next question has to do with a little bit about like, have you been able to, um, come to any hypotheses based on data collected thus far? Uh, because how, because how long since 2007, that's not when you guys launched your project, is it? Correct. So we were funded by the NIA in, in 2018. We okay. first started taking enrollments in late 2019. And then you may or may not have heard there was a pandemic. And so um, <laughs> we got a little bit derailed for a minute, um, mm-hmm. but we're back in it to win it. And, and in the good news column, our project is exclusively online. So even during the worst of the pandemic, we could still communicate with our pen, with our participants. But wow. um, so yeah, we've been heavily collecting data for just over two years at this point. Okay. Have you, because I know um, at least when I would do um, research, of course, nothing approaching the scale that you have. That's a fact. You know, I thought I had a ton when I had like 14 research, you know, subjects, but uh I didn't have time when I was in data collection mode to even start to look at trends or anything, even guess. 
have you guys had time to do any of that? Because I know you have, and we should wait, let me back up for a second before you answer that massive shout out to your team. When she says team, you guys on their website, it's not like a team of like four or five or 10 or it's incredible. There are so many PhDs, MDs, DVMs, other professionals on your team. It's just incredible. Um, so shout out to your team. Um, but yeah, have you guys had time to look at your data? Yeah, great question. So yes, we are analyzing all the time. And as you mentioned, so the team right now is there are over 100 people who are either full time or part time staff, that wow. agent, which is really, really exciting. And as you said, that it's a, I mean, it's just a remarkable, delightful group of human beings that I get to work with every day. So I feel very, very fortunate. The, um, the, the team includes a number of people who are themselves trainees. And so people earning PhDs and earning master's degrees and those sorts of things. And for those people, data analysis is critical. And yep. so we are fortunate to have all of those folks on the team because they are quick to jump in and start analyzing the data, even as you said, when many of us are still very much focused on collecting it. The kinds of data analysis that we've done up to this point is what we call cross-sectional. So what that means mm-hmm. is um, right now I have all of these people who filled out this survey and they told me what's going on with their dog right now. But if two things are happening at to their dog right now. I don't know which one caused the other, right? I only know that both things are true right now. So Mm -hmm. if I like lemons and I like jogging, it's not clear that lemons made me go jogging or jogging made me eat lemons. I just know that I like lemons and I like jogging. So that's the kind of publications that we've made so far, what we call cross-sectional publications. Over time, the real power of this study is that we will increasingly be able to publish what we call longitudinal data. Longitudinal data means I know where something started and what happened next and what happened after that. And that's the only way that we can figure out causes because you have to have that time piece in there. So that would enable you to answer the question, did I eat the lemons before I went jogging or did I go jogging before I ate the lemons? And so it helps you figure out which thing came first. So we haven't yet gotten any longitudinal data published because we're really just at the very beginning of long-term follow-up of these dogs, but we have been already able to publish some of our cross-sectional findings in this big group. Oh my gosh. All of my like recent SGU epi students should be jumping up and down because I told y'all this stuff was important. (laughs) The cross-sectional versus perspective and longitudinal. Um, Yes. So uh, that is that is very exciting that you even to pull out preliminary data um, with that magnitude is just that's just very exciting. Um, So, okay, so it's designed to be open ended. And so it's not going to end. What like what's what's next? I mean, you expanded the overall population. I know I feel like I feel like you have something percolating, like you're going to be like, and next we're going to add this. And next we're going to add that. Is there anything left to expand it or, um, cause I know you had to put limitations. Yeah. So what we hope to do over time, as I mentioned, we've been funded for the initial five years. We've just submitted mm-hmm. a renewal for an additional five years, but what we've, we've begun to build a way for folks to add what we call ancillary studies. And so another researcher could come to us and say, hey, you've got all these dogs and all these people, and we're very interested in looking at these variables that maybe you don't know anything about. Maybe it's psychologists or sociologists or economists or people that are, you know, Mm -hmm. things I don't know anything about. And we would like to look at that. But they might also say, in order for us to look at that, 
we actually need you to specifically ask these questions. And so we would build a sub-study that asks the specific questions for that ancillary group. Or we actually need you to collect this particular type of blood sample from a number of dogs. And we would reach out to some of our pack members and say, would you like to be in this little study where we're going to collect a blood sample from your dog? And so over time, we hope that the core mission of the dog aging project in the longitudinal following of these dogs as they age will be will be built upon and added to by a variety of other researchers and other disciplines who bring specific questions or specific areas of interest and and use our platform to get those data. Is there a is there a human equivalent to this project or or not? Is this is this I mean this seems like a giant undertaking like like beyond ambitious. my comprehension, right? Ambitious, Jason. Yeah. Ambitious. It, okay, it, well, whatever. It's it, huge. Yes, huge. Um and, and growing yeah. um <laughs> and sometimes mystifying that we've come this far, but yes, there are definitely terrific examples in human medicine that were, that were really informative for us as we built the project. So folks might've heard of the Baltimore longitudinal study of aging, BLAS, mm-hmm. um, which has been going on now for three generations, for three generations, they started with an initial group of people in and around Baltimore. And what they do is, is they bring them in and they do all of the medical diagnostics that are available at the time. And then they sort of wait <laughs> a and time see, what happens. see what happens, right? Exactly. Yeah. The experiment is life. Right. And then (laughs) they actually kept going and brought in the original uh, participants' children. And now they've brought in the original participants' children's children. So the Baltimore Longitudinal Study is one example. The um, Framingham Heart Study is another. The Mm -hmm. Nurses' Health Study is another. So there are a number of really just remarkable and valuable examples of long-term longitudinal aging studies in people that we used as, as models for how we could do this in dogs. Huh. Super cool. Any chance you guys could like uh, cross each other and you can start asking those folks about their, their pets, their pets. Absolutely. I mean, that's a, that's an active area um, on our team right now that we're trying to build collaborations with some of these long-term longitudinal studies in people because of exactly that. Right. So Mm -hmm. understanding people who are enrolled in framing, him, and we know a lot about the heart health of those people. What can we learn about any of them who happen to own dogs who would be willing to enroll in the dog aging project? And so, yeah, that would be really cool. Yeah, it, mean, we're really excited about those opportunities. Yeah, I mean, maybe I, not really cool to, to deal with all that. There's a lot of data, but it'd be really cool when you tell me the data. results. That'd be awesome, right? <laughs> so, sorry, it's a lot. It's a lot of data. Oh. Um, I mean, I just to to even just to catalog those little bits of of data on human behavior, let, let alone the human recording the dog's behavior or the dog, you know, like that's just, I mean, Excel doesn't exist at that level. <laughs> right? That's, right. that's right. I mean, absolutely. The, um, again, back to the team, the team is mm-hmm. not just the scientists proposing the questions and the scientists performing the assays, but it's the scientists designing the data structure that yeah. makes it possible to capture these data in such a way that they can even be analyzed. Um, and so that's a, a huge part of our of our team's efforts as well. Yeah, I yeah. mean, that's overwhelming. Um, but but if um, I say if it can help us figure out how to not only increase the he- lifespan, but maybe the health span, like you said, because I mean, I meet like 17 year old well, I'm going to say the word cat, even though this is a dog aging project, but you sometimes you meet a 17 year old poodle and that dog doesn't want to be 17. You know, it, it wanted to like, you know, ended at 13, right? Hmm. Because now like they can't see or they can't hear, or, you know, that we don't even know everything that's going on in that little brain of that dog. Um, you know, especially if, if we, 
if we didn't know them before they were two, like if they had an unknown history, we have like nothing. Right. Um, so yeah, so it'd be really helpful to know what, what, we can do, and I guess that would be kind of the end goal. What what can we do as animal lovers and caretakers to extend that health span so that not only do they live longer, but they live longer, happier? That would be, even if you come out with one thing, that'd be incredible. Yeah. And that back to the whole complexity of doing this in the real world, right? In a clinical trial setting, in the variable environments in which dogs live, mm-hmm. because Of course, the genes that you're born with, there's not much you can do to change that, but the environment in which they unfold matters a great deal. And we all know this from simple examples, right? A simple Mm -hmm. example is a person who's born to a tall family, and that person has genes for tallness. But if that person is born in a part of the world that's experiencing a famine, that person's not going to be very tall because they didn't get the nutrition early in life that enabled them to grow very tall, right? So we know that the genes for tallness can't manifest as tallness if the environment doesn't let you be tall. Right. And we we know that the environment is critical in shaping the way our lives unfold. And mm-hmm. so the things that we do every day, like we feed our dogs daily, we exercise daily, we drink water daily. So are there things, since we're going to feed the dog anyway, is there a way we can feed that's more healthful? Since we're planning to take the dog for a walk anyway, is there an exercise regime or strategy that's more helpful. Mm-hmm. And the knowledge that we'll gain from the fact that people are doing this differently in all their different homes across the country will hopefully enable us to detect some of those choices that, that are associated with better long-term health outcomes than others. Yeah. Cause I just think about the obesity epidemic in pets right now, you know, like, and so, but people will come in and they'll say, no, but I'm only feeding him this. And he's, you know, it's still like the fattest chocolate lab you ever saw. Right. And, and I'm like, you're not only feeding him that, right. You're feeding him other stuff. So I guess you overwhelm that variable of self-reporting or self not reporting. You overwhelm that at the same thing. Right. I mean, do you, do you collect data on the owners? Like, do you collect anything <laughs> on like, cause I'm just thinking like, uh, well, because I'm thinking about it, right. Like the obesity epidemic in pets mirrors the obesity epidemic in people. And then, you know, you, you have people, n- not all people had the same background in education. And so do you collect information on that to see if that also has an impact? Yep. So a very little bit of information is collected about the owners. Mm-hmm. Um, but to, to your point from earlier, if we were able to partner with Framingham or Baltimore, oh yeah, we would end up with a whole lot more information about the humans, and that would be a great way to do it. We would know not only about their their health conditions and some right. of their behaviors, but we would know what previous medical experiences those people had had that might be influencing them currently. And so that's one of the real important reasons that we want to partner with those mm-hmm. those large human studies. The information that we collect about the human owners in our study currently is very limited to obviously their geographic location, the age of the person who's filling out the primary questionnaire, the ages of the people in the home. Mm -hmm. So maybe the person filling out the primary questionnaire is only one of the primary owners of the dog, right? So are there, are there children and are there multiple adults and and who's all in the home? Um, And then a little bit of information about um, uh, socioeconomic status and educational background, but very limited information about the people. And okay, it's all so, anonymous and it shouldn't bother anyone to fill it out. And you just, yeah, I was just going to say the most honest information <laughs> is going to give you the, you know, yield the best accurate uh, results. Of, of course. Correct. So, right. right. And Listen. help and help the dogs and maybe help us. Right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So <clears throat> if there's one thing, I mean, Dr. Jason, did you have another question? I know no, you were taking some a, notes. 
punched down, and I think you guys answered them, answered them all. Let me check. Look at Dr. Jason nerding out right now. Everybody. No, listen, I think this project is awesome. There's so many questions you can ask, and and uh, I think we got, I mean, off the top of my head, I got them all, got them all answered. So I'm going to go nominate yeah. my dog as soon as we get done. To it. I know. I I especially like Dr. Kivy how like when you were talking about the how it could expand further, you like looked off into the distance. You're like, <laughs> oh, we could add this and that. And that's yeah. that's wonderful because usually when you talk with folks who are kind of in the midst of this ambitious level of investigation, um, they're not always looking for the like oh yeah. And, and we can do more and we can do more. Sometimes they're like, look, man, I'm out. <laughs> I'm overwhelmed. This is enough. <laughs> I, I, I do have a question actually. So this is directly for you. So you are, you are a professor at uh, the aforementioned greatest vet school ever, Texas A&M. Um, and so do you involve the students at all? Do they know that you're involved oh. in this? I'm sure that they do, right? I'm sure that they think you're super cool and you're doing all this stuff. Do they nominate their dogs and do they have a separate class of and I'd love to see a study on veterinary veterinary dogs, student dogs and their dogs and pets aging and see how that is better or hopefully better, but who knows, right? So you got to get them in there. It's a requirement for taking your class. Yeah. So um, I don't know or if I think it's cool, but I certainly do have a number of students whose dogs are in the project and I've yeah. worked awesome. with them summer, in the summer research programs that they have for the vet students. Yeah. I've worked with some of the students in that and um, also some undergrads at Texas A&M who are not in, in vet school or plan to go to vet school or want to go to vet school um, yeah. have been involved as undergraduate researchers with the project. So yeah, absolutely. We love having students as part of this team. Uh, and I love that you're like, you have students from the summer research. So when, uh, when I was in school at a and um, I was a summer research, um, fellow student person. I don't know what you call it. Um, uh, one of the best things I ever accidentally did, um, as a veterinary student was fantastic. Uh, wonderful experience, um, learned some hard lessons, but also some good lessons. Uh, and yeah, really, really helped, um, with the catapult when I got out of school. Um, so yeah, so vet students, if you're listening, you know, sign up for a summer research program. Um, yeah, I mean, this, I'm overwhelmed with information thus far. Uh, and I want to encourage everyone who's listening and or watching to go to the website, dogagingproject.org. Um, and if you can't spell aging, if you don't know there, there's an E and an I or how that's spelled, uh, you probably Google it, but we'll put a link in the, in the show notes for you guys who can't spell so you can get to the website and nominate your dog you know, throw them some coin. If you got some extra laying around at the end of the year, she says they're taking donations. Um, and just overall throw some good karma their way, um, and tell a friend about it. Um, Dr. Creevy, if there's one thing that you wish people knew about, um, gosh, about aging and dogs or, or dog aging, um, what, what would it be with there's one thing? That's a great question. I, I think, um, the main thing I want people to hear is that we are absolutely taking dogs into the project now. And if you do join the pack, we offer a number of different ways for folks to learn about dog health through blogs that we post and pack appreciation events. And so folks who have an interest, there's all sorts of topics that will help you explore if you join our project. And you know what? If you join their pro if you nominate your dog and you're in, hey, drop us a line. We want to know how it's going. I want to know like, what was your experience when you when you nominated your dog? What's been your experience thus far? And maybe we'll have you as a guest on the show. Uh, I think that would be really interesting. So yeah, so if you're out there, um, Chatterboxes, and you get involved with this project, drop us a line, let us know. And if nothing else, we'll cheer you on and say good on you for joining the project. Uh, Dr. Jason, anything else? I have nothing else. 
Dr. Creepy, thank you so much for joining us. That's great. To talk Absolutely. about this. Yeah. My pleasure. Thanks yeah. for having me on. Yeah, it make, makes my whole month. I got to tell you, um, just having you on, meeting you even virtually and talking about this project. I'm a little fangirling out here. All right. Uh, that's all we have for you today. I'm Dr. Jen the Vet. And I'm Dr. Jason. And we'll catch you guys on the next episode. This episode is brought to you by Full Bucket Veterinary Strength Supplements, the leader in digestive health for dogs, cats, and horses.